2: This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. Sports is business. And whenever you are procuring talent, you must start with a criteria. Being
3: owners of this league and wanting our league to be the best in the world, how do we make it better?
0: The valuations are getting so high, the list of people who could purchase a team is getting really short. We
3: have eight strategic investment areas when you look at the
4: world of sports. NBA's already in 210 countries around the world.
5: NFL is an amazing thing for the sports betting industry. We have the World Cup coming in 2026
4: in North America.
2: Hey, if I get a million dollars we're going to a school, Trust me, I'll be there. Bloomberg Business of Sports, from Bloomberg Radio. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr.
6: I'm Scarlett Fu. And I'm Damian
2: Sassauer. Coming up on the show today, we'll get you ready for the NBA All-Star break in Indianapolis with Mel Raines, president and COO of the Indiana Pacers.
3: We've got active DJs downtown. We've got um, some artistic lighting. We're activating some spaces with local, um, diverse food offerings. And so uh, we have free bus rides downtown for the weekend. So everyone in our community can come downtown. If you don't have a ticket to the game, you can still come downtown and be a part of the weekend, which is really important to us.
2: We'll also hear about some big money moves in the world of golf, including Tiger Woods' new deal with TaylorMade Golf. All that and more is straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. But first, the biggest sports story heading into the week, of course, was the big game. The Kansas City Chiefs are repeat Super Bowl champions. For the first time in 6,944 days, there is a back to back Super Bowl champion, and it is the Kansas City Chiefs. Over 123 million viewers in the U.S. tuned in to CBS to see the Chiefs win, making it the most watched program in U.S. TV history. That record-setting amount of viewers also saw all those Super Bowl commercials, which reportedly cost about $7 million per ad. For a look at some of the most impactful ads, Bloomberg Radio hosts Alex Steele and Paul Sweeney spoke with Kevin Krim. He's the CEO of EDO, a firm that measures the immediate impact of advertising across streaming and traditional TV. He talked about some of the
4: spots he thought worked best. Let's talk about it real quick the top five. Uh, mm-hmm. Number one was Deadpool three. Number oh, two was I the f- have thoughts on that oh, because yeah, yeah. I'm a huge Deadpool a person. There you go,
3: love it. But then again, he could come on. Ryan Reynolds could come on and say hello, and I'd be like, that was brilliant. It <laughs> that was amazing. It, it was a
4: fun spot, and the tease of having Wolverine <laughs> awesome. joining him is is a very satisfying for any Marvel fan. Uh, <laughs> number two is the film ad- adaptation of Wicked. Uh, yeah. Another interesting yeah. teaser, Ariana Grande uh, in one of the starring roles there. So that's gonna pick up a lot of attention. And then number three um, was the Volkswagen ad that you know kind of harkened back to their heritage of bringing the Beetle to, uh, to America. And then it teased their new all electric uh, uh, bus. Um, okay. So the VW bus returning to America after a long, long gap. Mm-hmm. Number four um, uh, was Timu. Or Temu, as we all learned, was how to pronounce it okay. last <laughs> yesterday. They ran six spots between pre-game, in-game, and post-game. Six spots. Mm-hmm. That's a huge investment. Yep. But this is an interesting one. A lot of people's opinion of that kind of spot would say that it was one of the worst. Hmm. Um, and. You know, uh, actually, I, that doesn't even resonate with me. What, it, what, what does the Temu's company do? Temu a, is a, it's a mobile shopping app. Okay. Um, and uh, they, it, they started uh, their first real kind of advertising in the US was last year's Super Bowl. Okay. That kicked it off. Um, they were one of the most downloaded apps in the Google what? App Store and the Apple App Store all of last year. They followed up with a bigger bet this year. That's
2: EDO CEO Kevin Krim speaking with hosts Paul Sweeney and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio earlier this week. The Super Bowl was also in Las Vegas for the first time. Scarlett, Damien, and I caught up with Anna Sainsbury, co-founder and CEO of GeoComply, a data collection and cybersecurity firm. We spoke about the growth of sports betting and broke down the numbers from the Super Bowl. Here's a portion of that conversation.
5: I mean, I think it's important to keep it into context that only 50% of Americans have access to legal online sports betting options at the moment. So we are still seeing a tremendous growth, like you said, 22% um, is quite tremendous. Uh, One of the sort of bigger stats, I guess, that that we're also looking at is that there's been a 28% increase in net new accounts from from last year. So that's 13.7 million new accounts, which I think speaks a lot to the fact that people are obviously very engaged in the NFL and wanting to set up accounts with these licensed legal companies that they are are now seeing pop up in their states.
7: Do you have uh, a sense of where these new accounts are opening? Are they in California? Are
5: they in the Kansas City market? Well, unfortunately, it's not legal. Uh, California has been a, an ongoing um, licensing legalization discussion, but um, it is in a lot of the, the key states. East Coast Corridor has primarily legalized. Obviously, uh, online sports betting is legal in Nevada as well. Um, so we have seen tremendous growth, but we are still without legal gaming options in big states like California as well as Texas.
7: Can you tell us uh, how much uh, of the accounts were in Nevada then, because um, it's an easy drive if you're in certain parts of California to get across the border.
5: Um, it is actually, I think for a lot of the betting that, that we're seeing in the growth, Nevada has been like an existing large market. Many Much of the growth that we've seen, some of it has been within Nevada, but still primarily people are pricing their sports wagers within the sports books on property in casinos. And Mm so for Las Vegas and the Super Bowl being in Las Vegas, the growth within that market is still primarily within the land based casinos.
6: And a minutes before uh, the Super Bowl, I mean, some people like myself are watching Post Malone sing America the Beautiful. But um, minutes before kickoff, GeoComply saw a massive spike in traffic. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, apparently it was the highest transaction per second recording ever on your systems, nearly doubling last year's peak. I'm just curious to hear what that means.
5: Number one, it's, of course, because new states are opening up. Two, people that were betting with these offshore illegal sites that don't have the measurements um, of giving tax revenue to states, responsible gaming control, Age and ID restrictions. They are now setting up accounts with these legally licensed companies that they are building and trust with, um, and so so we have we have seen that that growth across across the market.
2: There's the simple thing that you guys do. When I say simple, is this is it has to comply. You guys are making sure that whoever is going to make the bet is in the state legally where they're going to make the bet, and you guys have what more than. 800 data points to make sure that that's the case.
5: Yeah, I mean, of course. I think one thing that is is always true is fraudsters are constantly innovating, keeping us on our toes. A lot of conversations have been happening about AI and its impact on the digital economy. And so for us, that means we're having to work very hard to constantly stay ahead of those fraudsters to make sure that we can, with a high degree of certainty guarantee that we know exactly where that user is. In addition, working with our customers to make sure that the those that are placing bets are within the state, but also of legal gaming age.
7: Yeah, definitely concern, and this is why um, your firm is engaged in all of this. Can you give us a sense of the concern and and the actions, the steps taken mm-hmm. to fend off potential cyber attacks? Um, you know, before a busy weekend like the Super Bowl weekend, uh, given that there's going to be lots of fraudsters taking a look at how uh, this might be the perfect time to
5: overwhelm systems uh, with fraudulent activity and, and hacks. Sure. Well, GeoComplies technology in terms of the the cybersecurity side, we really focus on the spoofing that would happen at a player level. So not so much the massive cyber attacks that that you've heard about more recently on sites coming down, but to make sure on a per transaction basis that that user's device and location can be trusted. So we would be looking for things like account takeover, those that are manipulating their location, potentially being from Uh, a sanctioned jurisdiction like Russia to make sure that they're actually within the state of Nevada or in the state of New York and that they are controlling that device and of legal age.
2: That's Anna Sainsbury. She's the co-founder and CEO of data collection and cybersecurity firm GeoComply. Now, we can't mention the Super Bowl without mentioning what happened this past week in Kansas City. More than 20 people were wounded and at least one person killed by gunshots during the Chiefs Super Bowl celebration near Union Station, an entertainment center in Missouri. Our hearts go out to all those victimized in Kansas City. There's no easy way to transition from there but we now turn to something a whole lot brighter a big star investing in women's sports tennis superstar naomi osaka spoke to bloomberg's paul wallace about her future in the sport and her investments
4: here's a portion of that conversation when you look at your average athlete, they sort of do a, a few endorsements here or there, but you've done a lot beyond your endorsements. You've invested in women's football in the US. You've invested in pickleball. Uh, you've got the production company Hanakuma and, um, you've also got Evol- uh, evolved, the sports management company. Um, what was the reason for going into all those things and what's next? What's your next, uh, big, uh, big investment?
8: Um, I mean, I think for me, I always feel like, I I go towards things I believe in or not even things, companies and brands and just investing in women's sport has always been a really big thing for me. Um, starting a production company, my dad's always had cameras around so storytelling was kind of natural and just having that opportunity and knowing that no other female athlete has started a production company was shocking news. and. Um, I don't know just trying to do things that people haven't done before and learning along the way even if we stumble i think that's always been my biggest mantra
4: and this in particular when it comes to women's football and pickleball why those two things is that something you think is just uh you know an investment that's going to be a really good one over the next you know 10 years or so
8: um well i mean for me watching how big female sports has become over the years and knowing how much it it takes to be an athlete um investing in north carolina it wasn't that much of a difficult decision um and i also just really love watching uh soccer and especially during the world cup it's really fun but pickleball was kind of the unknown for me i think it's a sport that obviously it's been around but it feels like it just blew up Um, and learning about it and seeing I guess LeBron and Mav um, invest in it, was something that kind of leaned me more towards um, thinking it was a good idea.
2: That's tennis star Naomi Osaka speaking with Bloomberg's Paul Wallace in Abu Dhabi. Be on the lookout for that full conversation on a special edition of the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. Find that on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Coming up, Tiger Woods has a new partner after his split from Nike. We break down the new deal next on the Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports, from Bloomberg Radio. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr, along with Scarlett Fu and Damian Sassauer. And we got some big money again, as usual. Tiger Woods, he has launched his brand with TaylorMade after he split with Nike. And with us, who wrote a brilliant article about that, Max Adler. Our own Bloomberg's Max Adler. Welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Thank you guys for having me. Well, this is a gentleman, 48 years old, uh, golf legend. It doesn't make a difference whether he wins another tournament or not. That name alone is going to sell a lot of tailor-made golf.
9: Oh, 100%. I mean, this guy has totally cemented his legacy on the sport. He's got 15 major championships, 82 PGA Tour wins, and he still has a giant fan base throughout the sport. All of the young guys that come up through the sport idolize this man. Um, A lot of them, um, in honor of him, would wear uh, his... Um, tradition of uh, red on Sundays, and uh, that leads us to his new brand with Tellermade, which is aptly named uh, Sunday Red for Tiger's tradition of always wearing a red shirt um, on the final day of tournaments.
7: Right, and that's tied to his mother telling him that uh, red is his power color. But I'm curious, Max, why would he go to TaylorMade from Nike? He basically put Nike on the map when it comes to golf, because Nike did not have a golf division before uh, Tiger Woods. And now he's going to something that's specific to golf with TaylorMade Golf. I mean, it feels like he's going from big to small.
9: Well, it, it seems like Nike didn't come through with the money that he was asking for. Um, They knew that this was coming for quite some time. They knew that the contract was going to end at the end of 2023, and uh, they weren't able to put anything together. Um, Tiger definitely um, uh, brought that brand a lot of money over the years. When he first um, started with Nike, they had a fledgling golf business, Um, and now they're one of the leading manufacturers of both golf clubs and um, golf equipment, but... Um, I don't think that Nike was going to give him uh, the terms that he wanted. Um, And it seems like TaylorMade gave him the autonomy that he was really looking for, similar to what Michael Jordan has with the Jordan brand over at Nike.
6: Well, Max, you're taking me right down the you know kind of path I want to go to here. I mean, let's think about you know who Telemagne Golf is. I mean, it's a company that was formed in 1979 by the son of pro golfer Gary Adams. It's got a kind of market cap estimated for a private company of $1.7 billion. I think it was sold to a South Korean you know, investor not long ago. But here's what I'm thinking. Is he getting equity in this company? Because, I mean, how can they possibly compete to yes. bid for his services yes. against Nike? Yeah, so they did not
9: disclose the financial details of this agreement, but... It's safe to assume that he got a pretty hefty signing bonus. And um, I do believe that he has an equity stake um, in the brand that he will benefit based off of the success of this brand.
2: Remember back in the day when Nike first signed Tiger Woods? And it was, you know, at the time, it was like for several million dollars. And people were thinking like, Nike, are you crazy? (laughs) Well, that turned out to be one of the best things Nike ever did. And it turned out to be cheap, yeah, 600 million dollars cheap, Michael Barber. 600 million box. dollars. <laughs> My goodness, <laughs> man. Wow. It just definitely. Max they you know, it, it everybody benefited from this.
9: Yeah, you know, it definitely was a mutually beneficial relationship. I mean, like Nike helped uh, to mythologize Tiger Woods's legend. Um, starting with his pro debut in 1996, um, he steps onto the tee at the Greater Milwaukee Open and uh, Nike two days later, uh, two days later launches It's Hello World campaign ad, which was um, a riff off of comments that he made during a press conference before the tournament started. And that was like his introduction to the world. And for the next 27 years, um, him and Nike had several very important advertising campaigns that both helped Tiger Woods to um, become the media uh, darling that he was for quite some time. Um, And then also it drove a lot of revenue to Nike. I mean, Mm -hmm. they became one of the biggest names in the sport. Um, There are countless other Nike golfers right now um, that are carrying the torch, (laughs) although um, there is no name that has ever come close to being as big as Tiger Woods in that sport. So it does seem like uh, they're going to have some ground to make up now.
7: So uh, one thing, I mean, we knew that Tiger Woods and Nike were parting ways uh, because we had heard about that in advance and we just didn't know who Tiger Woods was going to sign with next when it comes to uh, his apparel uh, deal. We know that Tiger Woods' son, Charlie Woods, um, seems to be wearing a lot of Grace and apparel and I-, I believe he has some kind of partnership or some kind of deal with that company. Um, there was a lot of speculation that Tiger Woods b- would be joining his son, Charlie, in, in working with uh, Grayson Clothier. Do we know anything about how that might have developed or whether that was even actually a
9: possibility? Um, It it seems like TaylorMade and Tiger have been in discussions about this for quite some time. So um, TaylorMade and Tiger had a relationship um, for, I believe, about five or six years at this point. Um, Tiger has been using TaylorMade clubs and he has um, his own line of clubs with TaylorMade. Um, I know that there was some speculation about that when, uh, Charlie and Tiger played in a uh, tournament recently together, and um, they were both uh, seen not in Nike apparel, and that yeah. definitely led to some speculation. But um, I do think that um, this tailor made uh, the discussions with tailor made have been in the talks for quite some time at this point.
6: So, Michael Barr, take me through this, right? Since 1996, Tiger Woods earned more than $600 million with Nike, right? And we just announced that, no, let's take a stab at it. You know, T- Telemaid's market cap is something on the order of 1.75 to, say, 2 billion U.S., I'm looking at companies like Footjoy and Titleist at 3.5 to 4. I'm looking at Callaway at 4.5 billion. I mean, we don't know obviously what the breakdown is in terms of what equity he might get out of this, but even if it was 10, 15% and with that type of upside and growth to become just another Callaway, (laughs) I mean, you can, you can almost understand why this makes sense for him No? Oh yes. I mean,
9: definitely. Um, It does seem like there's a lot of upside right now. Um, And um, he's, trying to do something more than I think that what Callaway is doing. Like I would say that Callaway and Made right now, um, their brands are focused on functionality and it seems like Tiger's brand um, is trying to focus on both functionality and fashion to compete with yes. um, brands like Malbon um, that are becoming very popular. Malbon just did um, a pretty sexy uh, partnership if I may say so myself with Adidas. Um, so I, I think that the potential for this brand is is pretty high. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, like if they, uh, grew their market cap, if they doubled it, uh, to match a brand like Callaway, I think that Tiger would, uh, come away with a lot of money from that.
2: We brought up earlier about uh, his son, uh, Charlie Woods, and it, it, there's no question that Charlie Woods is going to benefit from this deal. Oh,
9: uh, definitely. Not only is there a lot of hype surrounding him just because he's Tiger's son, um, but he does seem to be a good golfer. He's going to have some star power. Um, And I think that it'll be mutually beneficial for both him and TaylorMade.
2: Yeah, I mean, he, you know, his son can play. I mean, obviously, Tiger Woods taught his son very well. Uh, We don't have a a Mike Douglas episode, man, that he could go on. Is now, if you don't know the story, by the way, (laughs) I need to explain it. Tiger Woods, when he was very little, went on the Mike Douglas show. And Bob Hope was also a guest on the show. And uh, he showed off his skills uh, and just charmed the crowd.
9: So, right now, I'd like to meet Tiger Woods and his father, Earl Woods.
2: Flash forward to today. My God, that was. He's 48. That means he. Oh my! That was 45. I saw that episode. Okay. You know what? I'm done talking. Go ahead. Go ahead. I just I just rattled my cage.
6: Maxwell, you know, it's funny because some of the brands you're mentioning here, you know, I actually do golf, and you know, I I so I know who Malbon is. A lot of people don't, and you know, I think if you like look at you know GQ or any of these magazines, it's kind of widely regarded as the quote unquote the most air quotes by the way I'm air quoting now most stylish golf brand. What's interesting is Nike was always kind of thought of as I don't know the most affordable. Golf brand, right? So I wonder how he adapts to this. I mean, is he going to be, you know, more active on social? Is he going to be wearing, you know, the hoodies and, as opposed to the collared shirts? I mean, what what lies in store for the style for men's golf that this kind of that comes off the back of this? I wonder.
9: Yeah. So I, I don't know the price point of this item, but um, Tiger was very excited about the cashmere Sunday red hoodies. That oh, gonna oh, oh there mm. we go. That's what we need. Uh, yeah. So it's going to be both ends of the spectrum. You know, they also had um, some like, uh, you know, traditional looking golf polos um, that looked to be like that athletic wicking type of material. Um, so I think it's going to be on, on both ends of the spectrum. But um, yeah, no, th- this, this brand will definitely try to appeal to um, some clientele with a higher, uh, uh, some more spending power.
7: And TaylorMade, by the way, is uh, owned by a South Korean private equity firm, Centroid Investment Partners. That happened in 2021. So I'm guessing also there's going to be a lot of investment in the Asian market. Uh, South Korea, China, um, Japan being sources of a lot of um, golf talent as well. So I'm guessing that they're going to be marketing to women and to kids.
9: Uh, Yes, definitely. Like They're first starting off um, with... Uh, a men's line of apparel, but they are going to then um, start dropping kids and women's lines. And they're also going to expand into footwear eventually. Um, first, they're starting off by launching uh, strictly in North America, um, but they also have plans to expand globally. You um, know that, that, and I, and you're right. Like their Asia right now is a prime market to grow uh, that sport. Um, and you're seeing a lot of other um, U.S. professional sports leagues that are trying to go after the Asian market right now in a similar way that the NBA was able to do so over the last couple of years. Um, You see Major League Baseball is about to kick off their season in Seoul, Korea. Um, so I think you're you're very right that that is a very important market.
6: Uh, and and, and Matt, and uh, you just and you're right. I mean, you're, I mean, we just had live golf in Singapore, right? And you know that brings up another interesting point, right? Because it seems to me that the PGA, I mean, don't get me wrong, the PGA is, is it, it, it is the standard bearer, but I mean, from an international perspective. It is not, right? I mean, so, I mean, in, in, in many respects, doing what he's doing, doing it and focusing on Asia, perhaps, and taking advantage of sort of that, that market might, uh, m- might be another motivating factor for this. But that is a very excellent point, Scarlet Fu.
7: Every once in a while. Every once in a blue moon. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Max, I, I love Tiger Woods' line when he unveiled the uh, in California. He says, it won't help you hit it further, but you'll look better than you do right now. Which,
7: red cashmere hoodie that's all i have to say yeah I, it,
2: it's going to take a lot for me to like look better but anyway max adler our very own bloomberg wrote an excellent article about this in tiger woods thank you so much sir for joining us on the bloomberg business of sports
9: yeah thank you so much for having me
2: That's Bloomberg's Maxwell Adler. Special thanks to him for joining us on the show. Coming up, it's NBA All-Star Weekend Time, and we're checking in on the host city with Indiana Pacers president and COO Mel Raines.
3: We um, moved All-Star Saturday night with the league to Lucas Oil Stadium, so 35,000 members of our community and fans could attend that event, and they're doing it on an LED court for the first time, which is going to be, I think it's just going to be a super cool experience for everybody who can come. And then, of course, the All-Star Game itself in Gamebridge Fieldhouse Sunday night. Um, There's over 150,000 ticketed opportunities for the weekend between the concerts and crossover and all these other events, which is more than the league has ever had.
2: You're listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.
0: Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card
2: Hello, welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports, where we explore some of the big money, and I'm talking about big old money in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. I'm Scarlett Fu. And I'm Damian Sassauer. How would you like to meet the president and chief operating officer of the Pacers Sports Entertainment? Well, ta-da, here we are. Mel Raines, I'm so happy to talk with you. First of all, welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports.
3: Well, thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here.
2: You are on a small list of women running NBA arenas. The Pacer Home Arena, uh, home to the uh, 2024 NBA All Star Weekend, and what a, an honor! First of all, congratulations. Thanks.
3: We've been. Uh, this has been several years in the making, so we're very excited that the weekend is finally here.
2: Can you can you take us through? Because you're in, you know, very slim company. It needs to be more of you guys in this world here of women in the high offices of the NBA. Why haven't there been more women in the NBA high offices?
3: Well, you know, that's a good question. I, um, I'm i new to sports. I, I made a career transition about 10 years ago. Um, I started here with the Pacers nine years ago, and I worked in politics for 20 years before that. Um, but I would say that a lot of the teams, ours especially, have been very intentional um, in the last, you know, 10 years, certainly five, especially to um, to diversify at all levels of the company. Um, I think where I started with the company um, over the our facility operations is certainly an area that needs improvement. Um, and I think a lot of teams are, again, being intentional in who they're grooming. You know, it takes time. If, you, if you're if you hiring a diverse staff at a, a younger age, um, I didn't get this job when I was 25. So, you know, it takes a little time to groom people into it. But I think, um, I think the NBA, um, amongst all of the major sports leagues, is one of the better ones in terms of diversity across the board. And certainly proud to be on a, a team in this league. You had mentioned your career in politics. You worked in various
7: roles on six Republican national conventions, uh, including serving as COO for the 2008 RNC, senior advisor for the 2012 and 2016 conventions. Can you talk a little bit about the common threads between organizing those events, overseeing those events, and also uh, being one of the principal architects of the 2012 Super Bowl and what's to come, which is of course uh, the 2024 NBA All-Star
3: Weekend. how are they similar? There's a lot of similar threads. The cities certainly bid on, all, you know, the whether it's a political convention or an all-star game um, because of the economic impact. And so those are significant, you know, heads and beds and um, restaurants and bars. And um, there's just so many things related to these events that help a local economy for a short period of time. Um, what's very different about them? Is that whether it's the Super Bowl or the NBA All-Star Game or, you know, other All-Star Games or Pro Bowls, is there's an economic piece for the league or the event owner. And with the Republican and Democrat national conventions, they're not making money off of those events. Mm-hmm. Those are, um, you know, basically a chance to have earned media and own own TV for five to six days. And there is a huge impact to that just like it is for these other events. but um, they're not selling tickets to that event if that makes sense. And so it's a little bit different in that regard, but um, I think it's a chance for any city that's hosting to really shine on a world stage for the week that they're hosting and, and that's why Indianapolis has been on so many of these sporting events and hopefully exceeded the expectations of all the attendees and fans and the and the NFL and and we're hoping to exceed the NBAs this weekend.
6: And Mel, this is nothing new for you, right? I mean, you worked on the 2012 Super Bowl and, you know, you've probably involved in a number of different sports throughout the Indy area. You know, the, the All-Star Game, the Indy 500. I think this year you also have the U.S. Olympic swimming and diving trials, right, at Lucas Oil. But, you know, let's talk about the Gamebridge Fieldhouse and let's talk about, you know, we won't talk about the Indiana Pacers, but let's talk about some of the other events you you have there, right? I mean, and I, I just happen to be, you know, looking at the agenda for the next few months. And I see the Boys and Girls High School State Basketball Finals. And I think about the Hickory Huskers. I think about Jimmy Chitwood. I think about Butler University's Hinkle Fieldhouse. Talk to us a little bit about Indiana sports, about basketball, what it means to the community, and how you're
2: taking advantage of that. Well, Ryan crying over here. I'm looking at it
6: now. Yeah. <laughs> well, Cambridge
3: Fieldhouse, ju- we just finished a $400 million renovation and we added a, a Bicentennial Unity Plaza and a new um, restaurant entertainment complex next door. Um, So it's really best in world-class facility. And I think we probably do more basketball games than any other – Arena in the country, um, we certainly, I think, are the best place to see a basketball game. We were purpose built for basketball. Um, we we don't we have an offset hockey configuration, which means um, it's not the best place in the world to watch a hockey game. Although we can host one, um, and because of that, we do the high school finals. We have often held the Big Ten men's and women's tournaments. We have the NCA first and second round this That's year. Right, yeah. The Pacers, the Fever, um, and we also I think it was just a few years ago, we had 54 basketball games in 49 days in uh, February and March, in addition to some concerts. So I think we have as much basketball as anyone. um, Indiana's basketball crazy Um, Hoosier Historia is alive and well in our city and our state. Um, And we just take a lot of pride in being able to host all these various levels. And they're all unique in, in terms of having the high school finals. We usually do Pacers on Friday night and the high school First game is at 10 a.m. or something on Saturday, and uh, it's just such a different feel, but equally fun. We get 11 or 12 thousand people for the high school state boys and girls finals, and um, it's just it's just really fun events.
2: You're taking over as the Pacers CEO in June when uh, the current CEO Rick Fusen, retires. Can you take us through about what it's like uh, when you when you see somebody like Rick Fusen, What it's like to to work with them and the experiences involved.
3: Yeah, I mean, he's been a phenomenal leader in our company for 40. He's about to have his 40th anniversary. He started in 1984. He was hired to um, lead the 1985 NBA All-Star Game for the company, which is the last time we hosted the All-Star Game. So he's bookending his career around this, um, this special event. And, you know, his it's hard to take over for someone who's got 40 years of knowledge in their brain, but he's done a really nice job of um, mentoring me over the last few years. And and while we're transitioning for the next few months, um, he's staying on as a senior advisor for Herb Simon and for me. So um, I can call him whenever I need to, Mm -hmm. and he'll be He'll be available, which is also nice, Um, but he's a good teacher. He's naturally a teacher. So um, every day since I've been here, he's been teaching me something. I learn something new almost every day um, in this job. And so um, I'm really grateful for what he's done to help me get to this place.
7: Can you talk a little bit about the conversations you have with other COOs or presidents and soon to be CEOs um, when you when you take on that role um, of other franchises? Uh, because obviously, there's a lot of best practices. There's a lot of sharing of what works and what doesn't work.
3: Yeah, what I love about the NBA is um, it's very uh, everybody is very good about sharing those ideas. You're not either going to a Houston Rockets game or an Indiana Pacers game on a given night, and so. Um, whether it's Gretchen Shear, who's the president and for the Rockets, or Gillian Zucker with the Clippers, both of whom are friends of mine, um, other team presidents around the league are really good about um, when you call or you ask for help for something, they pretty quickly respond, as do we. Um, we're hosting, a lot of them are coming into town for All-Star Weekend. Um, the Warriors are hosting next year, and the Clippers are the year after that, and Um, Other teams who are looking to bid will be in town. And we um, are a pretty open book about how we've executed the event, what our plans were. Um, We were originally supposed to host in 21 and Cleveland hosted in 22. And before the pandemic, we were actively talking to Cleveland about how we were organizing our host committee and how we could help them make their all star game the best it could be. So Whether it's food and beverage um, or technology or game operations, the league has some really great best practices. Um, Jonathan Tillman, who heads uh, team marketing and business operations now, called Teambo at the league, is great about pulling us all together. We just had a meeting in Miami a month ago. And so um, I think that's one of the best parts about the NBA. Adam Silver is such a g- great leader is, you know, we're in this together and the teams really do share a lot of best business practices.
6: Yeah, Mel, we had Gillian on not long ago. And wow, the Clippers are having a hell of a year. I mean, let's talk a little bit about what fans can expect at All-Star Game Week and this weekend. I mean, I'm ta- looking here about this NBA crossover experience, the dual venue format with the dunk contest and the three-point shootout. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, what the audience can expect this year.
3: The, this weekend is so fun. There's so many different events. It's unlike we've hosted and we hosted the entire March Madness tournament in 2021 in Indianapolis, which was fantastic. Um, this is just such a different weekend. There's the Rising Stars game and the Celebrity game and open practice and crossover fan event. And we we um, moved All Star Saturday night with the league to Lucas Oil Stadium, so 35,000 members of our community and fans could attend that event. And they're doing it on an LED court for the first time which is going to be, I think it's just going to be a super cool experience for everybody who can come. And then, of course, the All-Star Game itself in Gamebridge Fieldhouse Sunday night. Um, there's over 150,000 ticketed opportunities for the weekend between the concerts and crossover and all these other events, which is more than the league has ever had. So if you love basketball or NBA fashion, culture, music, um, food, it's this is the weekend for you. There's plenty of opportunities. And then, We're dressing up downtown. We call Indy. Indy is the home court and the fan is the all-star. So we've got active DJs downtown. We've got um, some artistic lighting. We're activating some spaces with local um, diverse food offerings. And so uh, we have free bus rides downtown for the weekend. So everyone in our community can come downtown. If you don't have a ticket to the game, you can still come downtown and be a part of the weekend, which is really important to us. I'm so glad you bring that up because hosting big
7: events like the All-Star Game, or Weekend in this case, or the Super Bowl, means you're limited to the arena capacity, which I believe is 18,000 um, for gamebridge uh, Fieldhouse. So when you talk about these plans to make the city inviting and accessible to folks who just want to be there but can't get into the game itself, the arena itself, how involved is the NBA in coming up with these alternative um, entertainment options, or is it something that kind of crops up on its own? I mean, what's the dialogue like, the conversations? Like with the small business owners and the rest of the city,
3: they so the NBA Rewards Program is is one thing that the league started back I think in Chicago in 2020, which is an opportunity for local businesses to be a part of the event. Um, Fans check in um, through a QR code and accumulate points, and they can actually, if they go to enough businesses, go to the uh, NBA All Star Game for free. They earn tickets and other swag and things, and so that's. Yeah, it's we have over 300, close to 400 businesses throughout the state of Indiana that are registered in that program. Um, and and in general, I, w- I think the league has been incredibly collaborative with us and the vision that Herb Simon and who's our team owner and the Simon family had to make this a community event. So whether that's we've done 27, um, sorry, 24 legacy projects throughout the state of Indiana as part of our Post committee, um, $50,000 brick and mortar projects throughout the state, everything from basketball courts to STEM labs. Um, we're packing a million meals for Hoosier families over 24 hours starting Thursday afternoon into Friday afternoon. And the last shift of packing will include some of the all-stars and Adam Silver and a lot of uh, the other NBA VIPs coming into town. So they've been When we've had ideas like this, which I think they thought might be a little crazy in the beginning, they've jumped on board and um, have supported them 100%, um, including All-Star Saturday night. That was a bit of a leap to say, we think we can sell 35,000 tickets to this event. To your point, that would have been less than half that number of people in Cambridge Fieldhouse. And um, for us to say, we're okay not hosting that premier event in our building because it's better for the league and our community to host it at the football stadium, they jumped right on board with that idea and um, priced the upper tickets at $24. So I think um, the last year, the lowest price ticket for that event was um, $500. And so they've really um, just helped us embrace what we wanted this to be from the very beginning. And the very beginning was in 2017 when we bid on this and then it pushed. So literally this is seven years in the making. um, And I think it's gonna be a really fun weekend.
6: Mel, you speak so glowingly of Adam Silver and the NBA and your relationship with them. And, you know, I, it just takes me back. I'm looking, you know, at your background here. I mean, forget about the Republican National Conventions and the committee and everything you did there. I mean, I'm looking at, you know, serving as an assistant at one point to Vice President Dick Cheney. You began your career on Capitol Hill with former U.S. Senator Dan Coats of Indiana. Talk to us about the different, uh, uh, you know, environment of working with the NBA today <laughs> and working in Washington back then and how it prepared yeah. you obviously. Yeah.
3: Well, I'm very grateful I worked in Washington back then and not today. I can <laughs> I can tell you that um and I was lucky to work for some really great elected officials who I think um you know were in it for the right reasons and I was I'm very proud of the people I've been able to serve. What I would say about the transition into working for an NBA team and working with the league is um, that when you work for an elected official, you work for them and their family often. Um, And I work for Herb Simon and Steve Simon, his son, and the Simon family. Um, They're, uh, it's a small family business in a lot of respects. And um, we are a model franchise. We have one of the only teams that has an NBA team, a WNBA team, a G League team, a 2K team, and we run our building, um, which we take uh, we take a lot of pride in. Um, we're all in on what the NBA is doing, and Herb Simon and Adam Silver have a very close relationship. And um, it it's it, it feels very similar to politics in a lot of ways um although it's a business certainly um but uh my background was more on the operational side of of politics and the political side and um we we are a small town here in Indianapolis and we're a state capital too so I get to flex my political um, muscle a little bit but also my operational and my business side and so it's really it's for me it's a really good fit i don't do well in sort of large companies that are pretty plotting i'm better in small chaotic environments um, whether that's on the u.s senate in 1991 during the clarence thomas um nomination hearings answering the phones or um, during, you know, the All-Star game in 2024, It's it all feels pretty similar. And I've been very lucky in my career to work for some some great people and have been given some really great opportunities. I Mel, really like the way you described that small chaotic environments. <laughs>
6: <laughs> Mel, yeah, I, that's I, my I,
3: life, basically.
6: <laughs> chaotic environment. Mel, if you would just let Rick Carlisle know to give Obi Top in a few more minutes there, that'd be great also. Um I don't know. You know. <laughs>
3: I have you know, a- I, I have a really good relationship with Coach Carlisle, and it's partially because I don't give him any advice on his <laughs> job, and he um is very nice to me when he needs something. we We do it quickly. he's he's a he's a great colleague. um I, I feel really lucky that. He's our coach at this time with such a special team that we have on the floor.
7: I want to go back to something you had mentioned about the All-Star Game and and the fans who attend. Is there any data on what kind of fan attends All-Star Games? Is it the same group of people year after year or are they first timers from the host city? What's the breakdown? Because that obviously um, has implications in terms of how you make each weekend, each annual weekend distinct so that it's not like you've gone to one, you've seen them all.
3: It does. It does. And the league, I think you you all know, the NBA doesn't sort of sit and let everything be the same year after year in any regard. That was the case with the in-season tournament this year. The play-in tournament started a couple of years ago. Good so um, even if you do go every year, I think it is slightly different. So um, what we understand is of the fans, we expect coming downtown about 125,000. One in three will be from outside of central Indiana. So there's probably, you know, a good, I would say, 30,000 people that regularly go to these, whether they're sponsors or fans, super fans who like to come to this every year and see the best players in the world. But, um, there's a lot of people that will do this once in their lifetime. And um, and so we're trying to make sure this is special for both ends of that equation.
2: Mel Raines, president and chief operating officer of the Pacers Sports Entertainment and soon to be CEO of the Pacers Sports as of June of this year. Thank you so much, Mel, for joining us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. We appreciate it.
3: Well, thank you all for having me. I really, uh, it was fun. And hopefully you all watch this uh, Sunday night on TNT.
2: Our special thanks to Mel Rains. She's president and COO and soon-to-be CEO of the NBA's Indiana Pacers. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show. We are here each and every week at the same time. For my colleagues Scarlett Fu and Damian Sassauer, I'm Michael Barr. Thank you for joining us. Tune in again next week for the latest on the stories moving big old money in the world of sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.